0: Hi, I'm Matt,
1: I'm Diana, and I'm Brooke,
0: and this week we'll be talking about social media and society, and it's a great topic to be discussing because, um, you know, the world's dominated by social media these days, especially considering the three of us are all in the education field, all teaching very different grade levels. I'm high school, Brooke's primary, Diana is middle school, and social media is dominant in all three major age groups.
1: It's definitely really interesting that we get to see how it affects different age groups and we could kind of compare that to each other and what we see in the classroom. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
2: Exactly. Um, I feel that social media and technology in general has such a big impact on all ages. Um, In this week's readings, we talked about how... um, more of the adolescent side, how um, technology plays an important role in their lives. Um, But it is interesting to see how technology plays an important role throughout all age groups. So to speak upon not only the reading from this week, but the um, podcast, What Will We Fear Next? I thought it was kind of cool to see how the same conversation um same conversation is happening every single generation and it's just changing with the type of technology so um viper mentions the dangers of not only social media and in that regards but we also heard it from like 18 years ago when radio was something that was feared in generations um I thought it was very interesting how people change their um, views of technology um, based on what's happening today of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, and we see that in the podcast. Obviously, Justin E.H. Smith was writing about how evil the internet is and how horrible social media and other platforms is to personal health. And then when COVID-19 shuts everything down in March of 2020, he's stuck at home and his opinions really kind of change because he's living with the internet and he realizes it's not as bad.
1: I feel like everyone had a big shift in their perspective on technology because it became our literal lifeline. Everyone switched to working from home on the computer. Schools were online and we definitely got to that push more uh, to see how it can benefit us and our students and even people that work in other industries.
2: Yeah. And I can kind of relate that. I think before listening to this podcast, initially, I was like, I hate social technology, social media. I think it does disrupt our norms and our critical thinking skills because everyone's just texting, tweeting, or even Instagramming. And after the pandemic, I do have a better appreciation of technology, but obviously everything has its flaws. Um, that being the case, I, I kind of agree a lot with this week's podcast.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. Just the, you know, we obviously the gut reaction is to say that social media and technology is bad. but. You know Amy Orban, who is another scholar, when she was doing her doctoral work or her whatever it was her research on social media and the negative effects it has on mental health of the young, she looked into prior work and she saw that in the fifties, Mary Preston said the exact same thing about radio, and that clearly, you know, isn't the case because radio didn't heavily damage kids to the point where they're not, you know, themselves anymore. So she really like- reevaluated her work and looked at it again to see how social media, you know, isn't as negative as we think it is.
1: I feel like it's a lot of a gut reaction that people have when something is kind of new and there's not as much research on it. It's starting to come out and it definitely changed society and how everyone functions and what we do every like every day. People switched from radios to listening to their phones or going on social media. So I feel like people automatically just focus on the negatives of it, but they don't realize how much it's changed. And I didn't realize until I really heard Amy's argument about how this is the same argument that Mary made about the radio.
2: So it really opened my eyes to that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Sorry. And like most people, I reject change too. I, I, like I said earlier, social media, I thought was destroying our youth's brain. I mean, as a teacher, um, having people doing the TikTok moves in the middle of my class and lesson does aggravate me. But then again, when you connect to this week's readings and this week's podcast, our norms are completely different from when we were in school. So that social etiquette is now changing based on what technologies we have at hand, so to speak. Definitely teaching
1: kids how to use social media and all these platforms they have and kind of taking advantage of it in the classroom is definitely a way to show them how to use these safely and how to even be kind to one another and what's the right thing to do on social media. I think that's something that we should start teaching as early as possible because this is our new norm.
0: Yeah, I mean, with the cyclical nature of you know, demonizing media platforms, we have this Sisyphean cycle that Amy talks about. And obviously it comes from Sisyphus from Greek mythology who was cursed to roll the boulder up the hill in hell every time. And then the boulder would roll back down as an eternal punishment. So it's that never ending cycle because very often when a new media platform is introduced, the people in power will look at it and use it as a scapegoat to blame society's ills on it, because they don't want to address the main problems, the actual problems present in society. Um, When they were talking about this with the radio, I said out loud, this is just like what happened with the comic books in the fifties. And then two minutes later, they bring up Frederick Wertham, and I was like, yes, I predicted that, that's great and seduction of the innocent and how comic books, um, were seen in the fifties as this, you know, corruption of youth, when in reality they're not, they're another way of kids to, you know, learn how to read, to express creativity, to learn creativity. Um, censorship was much more of a thing in the fifties and that's how they, you know, really took out their problems on these new media platforms that they don't understand. And by the time that we realize these platforms aren't a bad thing, they're just accepted into society. And then eventually, when another new platform comes along, the cycle starts over again.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned about like power, how that's an important key and what we fear next. And how can people of power use that fear to kind of drive their election, um, things that they want to study and even the podcast mentioned that once there's no longer that fear, the funding stops and they have to kind of research something new. I also thought it was interesting how um, power plays in a role of privacy in this week's readings when um, adolescence privacy is a big thing between adolescents and adults, and That to me was very important to hear how privacy is, the definition is almost fluid between different age groups. So when we have our privacy as an adult, things that we fear are the people who have power above us. And when you have privacy as a adolescent, things that we fear looking into our private lives are our parents. that's similar to what's happening in countries. I mean, if you think about the China, with the citizens in China, you have um, the fear power of the government watching you everywhere.
0: Yeah, the government's definitely an overbearing parent in China, and that's a whole other discussion I could get into as a history teacher. Um, And just going on with the reading though, it's definitely, well, first of all, obviously the reading's outdated because they talk about MySpace. They talk about platforms. Their from-
1: research was from 2007 for my yeah. MySpace and Facebook as their main source of their information and their research. When these platforms aren't relevant today. It's so now we have TikTok. tock. Yeah. Twitter. Sorry, yeah. I totally cut you off, but.
0: No, that's cool. Um, We have Instagram with the Instagram Reels, which, by the way, is really annoying. I mean, (laughs) as an Instagram user, I can just feel them hopelessly trying to become another platform that's clearly gaining so much steam. So that's that's a whole other...
1: Everything off of other platforms and just post it on Instagram instead of having (laughs) one platform where it's TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram all in one. They take TikToks and they take people's
2: tweets and they post it on Instagram. yeah
0: it's it it, well that's that's annoying stuff well technology's
2: Um, a fast moving target that is just always changing and i mean it's just insane how these research that we had this research that we had in the chapter how relevant is it because amy speaks about research we kind of have to be proactive more than reactive and maybe what we read in this week's chapter how relevant is it because good research takes time so are we reading it after the fact or is this a good lens to what's going on in the adolescent mind
0: yeah I mean I definitely um I definitely appreciate the personal accounts by the kids that the author looked at I mean The conflict between privacy and presence is definitely worth looking at. You have the desire for teens to have a community to be a part of, to find connection to, but that community may not necessarily jeopardize their actual in-person relationships. It may expand upon it or Mm -hmm. connect with it. There's also, you know, the sense that the parent is what's really the source of what they want to be private from. We Mm -hmm. see a lot of teens in that reading. Not care as much about big companies that have data, although we see that very heavily as a problem with you know Facebook just went through in the last couple of years a major inquisition by the government about their data control, well, so there's definitely a lot of good within the outdated stuff
1: Yes, I wish it was more relevant to today because I feel like the platforms definitely take a turn now um and Kids are posting and adolescents are posting even more public information that's supposed to be private because now they have all the privacy settings where they can just block their parents. Right. And they're now posting information for anyone to see, whether or not it's a stranger. They'll post their address, they post their license plates, they will give any information out. The only yeah. person they really don't want to see that information really seems to be. Their
2: immediate family or their parents. But if it is because they're blind or if they're actually doing it to be intentional, where the readings touch upon these adolescents, we don't give them enough credit because a lot of the things that they do post are intentional. Um, They spoke about one teen girl who was going through a breakup with her boyfriend and she knew her mom was looking at her post, but right. she had to be very meticulous on what she was posting. She wanted people to know that she was upset, but she had to do that subliminal...
0: The coded message. song lyrics.
2: Yeah, of the song lyrics that she knew that her mom wouldn't understand that um, she was like upset that she was okay. and Because I know parents can be a little overreacting so i think with the relevance of it it i don't know i feel like i might have to talk to some of my students to see like what their um tactics of our um tactics for privacy do they use subliminal things um i mean they mentioned pig latin which i thought was funny yeah do they do something like that on social media to make sure that their parents don't see or do they have that trust with their parents that they don't really care if they have their accounts and they kind of just dictate what they're putting into the public? I I'm very curious to see how relevant this chapter was um, is to our current lives. Um, and when you have
0: um, social media efforts, you know, it it definitely brings us back to the China thing, which we can discuss if you want or if you want to stay on this a little longer.
2: Uh, Yeah, let's. We could go into the China. I I thought it was um quite interesting to see how this is happening in our everyday lives and our mobile technologies and lampposts and everything can kind of dictate where we are as a social status. Yeah. Uh, So. so, More to that.
0: Yeah. So the fact that we have a a major world power. That uses, you know, street cameras and facial recognition software, and you know, transaction history, credit history, personal um, accounts of how these people behave in China, and openly assign a social score to every person. Is you know, it, it's like a credit score where you have if you have a higher score, you get discounts, you get benefits a more moderate, lower score, you don't get those benefits. And then if you have a really low score, you can get blacklisted. And very often we see that the journalists have um, a lot of blacklisted people in their group because they're speaking out against the Chinese government. It's definitely mm-hmm. you know, a horrible thing. If you get blacklisted, you can't get train tickets or, you know, you can't put your kid in better off school. Mm-hmm. To me, going back to the comic book thing, it gave me serious vibes of um, Captain America: Winter Soldier, where in that movie, uh, a neo-Nazi group infiltrates the U.S. government, and they use uh, like the personal history and algorithms of everyone's personal data that's around the world, and they try to target people that, based on their personal history, they see as you know someone that could be um, a target to them. And you know, it it's a really dark idea to think about these big governments using our information to try and hurt us. So that's, that's definitely something to consider, um, to look at. Um, It's happening right now in our world. I hope it doesn't get as bad as the things that I'm talking about, but it's definitely, (laughs) you know, it's definitely something that's there.
2: Yeah. 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 You're sounding like a real pessimist um,
0: (laughs) kind
2: of thing. If you think of the optimistic approach of GI, GIS. So I talk about this with uh, my math students a lot because we go through statistics and how data is collected and gathered to predict future events. So yeah, this is a very relevant to- topic and they use geographic informational systems where, um, not like a GPS where it gives you directions from point A to point B, a GIS system actually takes data of what you're doing um, like if you're going to Starbucks or if, I mean, you can even talk about structure outcomes of like a a building or whatever the case may be, but they use that data and they collect that data to predict where you are gonna go, um, what you're gonna buy. And to me, some of the optimistic things about it, if they're taking my data from where I'm leaving at 340, which is school to go home, it does tell me what my traffic is gonna be like. So that's, that's cool, like that surveillance part of it is a <laughs> so lot. Just trying to be an optimist on that.
0: No, I, I'm with you. Look, I I like that Netflix uses what I've watched to predict things I might like. So that's you another part. Sometimes on it. it
1: is a little bit much when you're talking with your friends and you say, Hey, I really like this shirt at American Eagle. And the next thing you know you have an ad for the exact shirt you were talking about on Instagram. So sometimes I feel like it's a little bit too much and it invades your, like your privacy a little bit too much going back to privacy. So where does, where's the line and where does it
2: stop that it's too much? Yeah, Yeah, definitely with that privacy and choosing what not to share and, maybe these surveillances are changing our authentic, um, how we act on a normal basis. If you think about our even self. like police officers, now they use body cams. Absolutely. Um, how has that changed their profession? You know what I mean? Just being underneath this constant surveillance. I mean, even when, as a teacher, and I'm teaching virtually, having that talent of the parents might be behind the screen, how am I behaving differently in front I of- I noticed that first a lot of
1: teachers were very afraid of reprimanding their students and asking mm-hmm. them, hey, can you please stop that? And they would kind of let behaviors that they would never let slide kind of fall through the cracks because they didn't want the parents being like, hey, I don't like how you said X, Y, and Z to that student. That's definitely something, the surveillance of it all. And that goes back to even teenagers with their parents not wanting their parents to know their information and they act differently around them.
0: I've gotten so lax with my furly virtual students that if they don't even (laughs) respond to me, you know what? That's whatever to zero. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, like, because I'm dealing with I'm dealing with high school kids. Mm -hmm. If they're not, they're they're turning the stupid thing on. (laughs) <laughs> and they're walking away from their microphone. That's what's going on. I mean.
1: I have the kids that don't know. I'm like, you have to unmute yourself. <laughs> I don't know how.
0: Right.
2: So, yeah. yeah. Uh, it just, it's very, it's very um, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I can't even come up with a better word than interesting.
0: Mate, we know. live in a very I interesting mean, world.
1: I didn't <laughs> wait looking into this topic and being able to talk about it because it is something that was so prevalent to everything that's going on especially within the past year so i definitely liked everything that we looked at this week yeah so what will will we
2: fear next so to speak
0: yeah more Um, good than fear i hope i'll be more optimistic
2: less surveillance
0: (laughs) yes all All right right.
2: thank you for listening to this week's uh podcast thank
0: Thank you you so much
2: enjoyed it have a great guys